chapter 2. Then our article from the Confession is found on page 80. I'll just read that for us, but if you'd like to follow along, it's page 80 in the back of the blue hymnal, article 24. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. This is God's holy word. It's given to us for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Amen. Article 24 of the Belgic Confession, dealing with man's sanctification and good works. It says this, We believe that this true faith, being wrought in man by the hearing of the word of God and the operation of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him, and makes him a new man, causing him to live a new life and freeing him from the bondage of sin. Therefore, it is so far from being true that this justifying faith makes men remiss in a pious and holy life, that on the contrary, without it, they would never do anything out of love to God, but only out of self-love or fear of damnation. Therefore, it is impossible that this holy faith can be unfruitful in man, For we do not speak of a vain faith, but of such a faith which is called in Scripture a faith working through love, which excites man to the practice of those works which God has commanded in his word. These works, as they proceed from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable in the sight of God, for as much as they are all sanctified by his grace. Nevertheless, they are of no account towards our justification. For it is by faith in Christ that we are justified, even before we do good works. Otherwise, they could not be good works any more than the fruit of a tree can be good before the tree itself is good. Therefore, we do good works, but not to merit by them, for what can we merit? Nay, we are indebted to God for the good works we do, and not he to us." since it is he who worketh in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let us therefore attend to what is written, when when ye shall have done all the things that are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which it was our duty to do. In the meantime, we do not deny that God rewards good works, but it is through his grace that he crowns his gifts. Moreover, Though we do good works, we do not found our salvation upon them, for we can do no work but what is polluted by our flesh and also punishable. And although we could perform such works, still the remembrance of one's sin is sufficient to make God reject them. Thus then, we would always be in doubt, tossed to and fro, without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be continually vexed if they relied not on the merits of the suffering and death of our Savior.
there is a lot there, but that is a wonderful, wonderful summary of the way that we approach the Christian life and how we begin to understand our good works in light of the the life, the salvation that we have in Christ. So we give thanks to God uh, for the way that he opened up the meaning of his word uh, to men like Guy Debray, who wrote that confession for the church. Uh, Branch grafting in uh, nature is quite an amazing possibility. Uh, Those who may run vineyards or have a hobby in taking care of trees. It's really amazing to see uh, what you can do with branch grafting. You could have a, a loose branch, disconnected. You would think that that would spell the end of it, but you can take a branch from a fruit tree, connect it back to its original tree, or graft it onto another one, and it can, uh, over time, uh, plug back into the life source of that tree or graft itself onto that tree and continue to bear fruit. It channels into the sap. It becomes a a vital and living part of that tree. But Scripture uses this image for us relative to us and to Christ uh, for a very obvious reason. If the branch stays on the ground... Uh, the tree or the tree to which you might connect it would be fine. It's going to continue to exist. The branch needs the tree, not the other way around. But the, the, the branch can plug itself into the life of that tree, the nutrients and, and all that goes into it, and it can become a vital fruit-bearing part of the tree. Understanding ourselves as the branch and Christ as the vine or the tree Uh, we begin to see the the whole picture of salvation coming together. The scriptures point to our our life as Christians, as one of bearing fruits. We we, we bear fruit of good works. We see even uh, the fruit that we bear, even from the beginning, if we are the branches and Jesus is the vine, it comes not from us. The, the, The source of life for that fruit, it's not from us. We do not produce it ourselves but it comes from the vine, it comes from the tree that is Jesus Christ. And of course, our source of life is Jesus Christ. All of the Christian life, whether we're talking justification or sanctification, the, the source of that life is the bread of life. It's Jesus Christ. It's only because of Him and the new life that we have in Him that we experience what the Scriptures call sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is not justification, and we need to understand how these two terms, uh, what they are and how they relate. We've been talking about justification the last several weeks, which is a a glorious truth, a glorious gospel truth. And and as uh, Reformed people, we especially want to plant there and make sure that we get that right, what justification is. The changing of a status before God. We are changed irreversibly and eternally from the status of sinner to the status of forgiven, righteous, and blessed. That can't be changed. That can't be taken away to those who are given true faith. It's a once-for-all act. It's not a work of God. It's not ongoing. It's a once-for-all act of God, decisive, and cannot be reversed. But it is not all that is involved in the Christian life. There are things other than our justification. And that's what we come to tonight, for instance, with 
sanctification. Justification is the, the, the beginning, God's declaration that we are freed from the bondage to sin. You might think about it like a starting line, justification, the, the starting line of the Christian life. Uh, you could also, in another way, think about it almost like a, a declaration of war. That's where the battle begins. At, at regeneration, union with Christ, justification, the battle begins where uh, the, the flesh is going to wage war against the work of the Spirit in you. You're freed from your bondage to sin, but there's this remaining corruption. It's a starting line. It's the, the start of a battle, a declaration of war. So there's more than justification that we need to pay attention to. And yet, as we think about things like sanctification, we see that by God's grace, we're fully justified in Christ. We're established in the gospel, made alive by the Spirit. In the covenant of grace, we are uh, united. We're united to Jesus, united with his sacrificial work. And we live in that covenant of grace. That's a wonderful starting point to think about sanctification, what it means to be a member of the covenant of grace, always uh, working with God relative, th- uh, relative to grace and not works. So we understand the privilege of the, our status and justification, and it forms this ongoing, this basis for God's ongoing work. It's important to understand those things. So three ideas tonight as we think about Colossians and as we think about um, these sanctification truths. First, sanctification is necessary. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. Secondly, sanctification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. And thirdly, sanctification glorifies God as it magnifies His grace. Sanctification glorifies God as it magnifies His grace. So first, sanctification is necessary. It is not an optional part of the Christian life. First off, we would say that we just can't ignore... The, the teaching of Scripture when it comes to good works and the centrality of people, those who have been created by God, doing good works, that which accord with His law, that which are in line with His commandments. You think of, of Jesus summing up the, the totality of life lived before God. What is it about? It is about loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is about loving your neighbor as yourself. The Jesus summing up the life. It's about this doing of righteousness. You think about Mount Sinai. The Lord frees his people out of Egypt who are in bondage to slavery. Uh, They're in bondage to Pharaoh. God frees them. But one of the first things that he does is he brings them to the base of Mount Sinai that he might tell them how he wants them to live. Right? He freed them for, if you read Exodus, I was reading Exodus this past week in my own personal reading, and uh, the Lord is, through Moses, speaking to Pharaoh, let my people go that they might serve me. Right? That, that's a biblical idea of freedom, that we have been freed from bondage so that we might serve God. So as the Israelites go out into the wilderness, God gives them his law in order to tell them how they might serve him. We think of the, the signs, the seals of circumcision and baptism, the Old Testament and the New. Right There is this purification, this sprinkling of, of water, making one clean uh, so that they might serve God, washing away of the filth of sin so that God might be served. You think of the truth of the image of God. 
right from the beginning in Genesis. We are created in God's image. And the image of God is many things, but it at least tells us that we are created to reflect the character of God. That is foundational to who we are. If God is perfectly righteous, if God is perfectly just, if he is perfectly holy, then we are made to reflect that knowledge and righteousness and holiness as his creatures. Everywhere we go, throughout every page of scripture, there is this strong, there's this impression of the importance of righteousness and holiness and good works. James chapter 1 is a good place to go. We think about life in Christ and what we are called to. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. It connects to a deeper part of our lives. Psalm 119. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 1 Peter chapter 2. The apostle says there, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We could go on and on. We could go so many different places in Scripture. Old Testament and New God tells his people again and again and again that he has created them, he has redeemed them, he is fashioning them so that they may live righteously, so that they may live godly lives in this present age, so that they may wage war against their sinful flesh, so that they may abstain from all of those things that mark a life of sin and wickedness. The Bible gives us so much foundational truth. Uh, for sanctification. And it's important to understand that uh, the, the sinful heart, the fallen heart, so often we think about our standing before God, the reason we took so many weeks to go through justification, to think through that, not just because the confession emphasizes it in a couple different ways, but because we're going to always be pulled back to thinking about our relationship with God legalistically. That God will look upon our mere outward conformity and that will be what establishes us before God. It's not true. That's why we need to be rooted in justification. But it's also important to remember with sanctification that uh, we go back to the words of Jesus. We are to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when we talk about sanctification, it's not just merely outward conformity. It's not just saying, okay, check off the, the, the checklist in terms of these rules. There is this deeper uh, communion with God. There is this deeper pleasing God as, we, uh, as our hearts are changed, as our hearts are renewed. 
And so four basic things about sanctification that we can draw together as we look sweepingly through Scripture. First is that we need a change of heart. We need a change of heart. And that, of course, comes about through the work of the Spirit in our lives. That begins at regeneration, when, as we see in our, in our confession, the Holy Spirit creates true faith through the hearing of the Word, through the hearing of the Gospel. And He establishes us as new people in Christ. In order to uh, conform to the law of God and to do it in a way that is pleasing, we need a change of heart. Psalm 40. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Something that we understand uh, about being a human is that we act according to our deepest loves and affections. That which we desire most, that which we prize most, is going to determine what we do. And so Reformed people talk about the connection between the mind, the, the heart, and the will. We study Scripture because it forms our minds. It renews our minds. And as it renews our minds, it, it orients our affections and our hearts towards that which is most glorious, towards that which is uh, most worthy of our praise, which is God. And if our hearts and our affections are pointed towards God and the glory of God, then our will, that which uh, uh, we follow in our actions, will naturally choose the Lord. And will choose to be obedient. So our, the life of sanctification is this connection between mind and heart and will. But behind that we see the work of God in sanctification. The Spirit working in us, for it is God who works in us. Secondly, we must be well convinced of our reconciliation with God. If we are to have a sanctified life, we must be absolutely convinced that justification is sure and certain and it cannot be reversed. That all that is needed for our reconciliation with God has been taken care of in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation does not sneak back into the picture if you are united in Christ, you need to be convinced that in Christ and in the gospel, the price has been paid. The righteous standard has been met. We love because he first loved us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You're not going to be able to forgive your neighbor, forgive your brother, forgive your sister in a God-pleasing way unless you do it out of an understanding of God's forgiveness for you. Third, not only are we convinced once we be convinced of our reconciliation with God, we must trust our future enjoyment of heavenly blessings. We must trust that the hope that we have is sure and it is certain uh, that what God promises to give to us in eternity is unshakable and imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul needed to probably preach that to himself quite often. You think about all the pain, all the suffering he had to go through. His labor was not in vain. Why? Because there was a reaping that he would see in uh, the next, in the age to come. Galatians 6. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hebrews chapter 6, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still 
do. The enjoyment of these things, uh, the reward that awaits these things is not in this life. Therefore, let us not grow weary in doing good and understand the future enjoyment of heavenly blessings that is aided by our pursuit of godliness. Convinced of our justification, convinced of our future enjoyment of God's blessings. And then uh, fourth, it's not easy. Living a life to the glory of God in Christ Jesus is not easy. It's not easy. This is something that I, I had to learn growing up in the church, being raised uh, to confess the faith and uh, that I was a Christian right from, the, right from the start. I needed to understand and know that living a life of mortification, mortifying my sinful flesh, and then vivification being uh, established in the life of Christ, this is not an easy thing. My best example for this is that in the summertime, uh, when we were over at uh, Village Free here down, down the street, we would go to this, this uh, teen conference in the summer, as many churches do. And I remember every time I would go to that conference, you'd get all excited about the faith, you'd be reading scripture more throughout the day, and the meaning of scripture was coming out at you, and you'd be so excited about serving the Lord, serving God. And you would say, man, it's so easy. Well, of course it's easy to serve the Lord when you're at those kinds of things. And uh, the, the thought process I would often go through is, okay, I'm going to go home and it's going to be a different story, right? Praying more, reading the Bible more, more sensitive to uh, all the things that God calls us to do. But it's going to be fine. I've got it now. See, it's so easy because I love the Lord so much. And then, of course, you come home, you realize that you go back into your normal routine. And unless you have established these things, unless you impress these things upon your mind day in and day out, it's not going to be easy. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Does it seem like Paul is describing something that's easy for us to do there? Of course not. These are uh, things that are not easy, and it will not be easy to live for the glory of God in Christ until the end of our days or until Christ comes again. These are some foundational truths about sanctification. Colossians 2, as we read this evening, verse 6, says this, As you received Christ the Lord, so continue to live in him. As you received Christ the Lord, so continue to live in him. Really, a better way to translate that more literally is as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. This ongoing, long obedience in the same direction is one way uh, that the Christian life has been described. It's a long obedience in the same direction. To walk means to continue on the same path. It's not a sprint. It's not, uh, in a sense, you could say it's like running a marathon, but really, the Bible chooses that walk very intentionally. A lot of times, it's going to feel like trudging along. A lot of times, it's going to feel like the progress is slow, but it's a long obedience in the same direction, this life that we have been given in Christ. In the book of Colossians, Paul is combating false teaching. Now, there's, very, there's a lot of spiritual aspects. There was uh, angel worship and asceticism that were going on in Colossae that had crept into the church, this false teaching. So Paul is addressing that when he says, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. But in addition to uh, these spiritual aspects or in the spiritual realm of the false teaching in Colossae, certainly would have been a works-based 
righteousness. You need to think of yourself as being established before God on the basis of what you do. And it's for that reason that Paul brings them back to the gospel. He said, no, no, as you received Christ the Lord, how is it that they received Christ the Lord? By grace, with the proclamation that you are a sinner, you can do nothing to break yourself out of your sinfulness, you can do nothing to justify yourself, you need the work of Christ to establish you. Justification, in other words. So as you received Christ the Lord, as you received the truth of the gospel, so walk in Christ. So walk in the truth of the gospel. So live according to the conviction that what you have in Christ cannot be reversed. That what you have in Christ cannot be taken away. We walk in the light of the gospel, not according to some other principle. You don't get in by grace and then you stay in by works. That's a different gospel. You get in by grace, you're sustained by grace, you are upheld by grace, and you are always looked upon by your Father because of the work of Christ, because of the grace of God. And so the Bible, the New Testament, especially when Paul's talking about this in in systematic theological ways, He brings us to the idea of good works that flow out of grace, that flow out of our justification. Because it's like being established, grafted onto a tree, a good tree that bears good fruit because it is the tree of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace of God appears, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace teaches us that. Grace forms us and trains us to live godly and righteous lives in the present age. Good works are about the grace of God. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. That's justification. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We are that which is created by his hands, is the image. It's it's someone who builds with their hands. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God creates us by his grace for good works. These are works that flow out of grace. These are works that God has prepared beforehand. The human perspective out of our experience, what is is it that we do from our perspective? We engage in the fight. We walk. We, We go into this battle and we engage in it, mortifying our flesh. But the question is, what is our mentality? Are we doing it to establish ourselves before God? No. We're doing it because Christ has already established us and created us as new people. We are justified, and that is coming about through the work of God. From our experience, yes, we're engaging in this fight, but over against all of that is that this is the work of God in us. This is the grace of God in us, flowing out of our justification, grafting us onto the tree of Christ, plugging us into the sap and the life that we would bear good fruit. The gospel creates us as new people, sons and daughters, children of God. Our confession says, We believe that this true faith being wrought in man by the hearing of the word of God and the operation of the Holy Spirit regenerates him and makes him a new man, 
causing him to live a new life and freeing him from the bondage of sin. So we think of justification, and then, of course, we have to think of union with Christ, being united to Christ and sharing in his life. Colossians itself probably has the most famous passage about living life in union with Christ. The very next chapter, Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Die to yourself. Live unto who you are in Jesus. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul there recognizes that there is something, there is this lingering corruption in the Colossian Christians that would lead them into all of those sins. He says, put it to death. Mortify it. Well, who's do- ultimately, who's doing that? God is doing it by his grace. But we're called to engage in that fight. Put on the armor of God and trust in what he is doing. Paul says, in these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, mortification, and, and you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, vivification, living unto the life of Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Live according to the gospel. Walk according to the gospel. Understand your justification in Christ. Good works flow out of our understanding that. That status can't be changed. Secondly, sanctification is by faith. This passage has three passive participles in verse four, or sorry, in verse seven, and to show us that sanctification is by faith. What Paul says in verse seven: We are rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith. You say rooted, built up, and then perhaps established in the faith. Rooted, built up. And established. Three different images. The first is that horticultural image. We are rooted by faith. We are rooted by faith, our faith, and in the faith, the faith of the gospel, the object of proclamation. You are, you are rooted in that, and that is your life, rooted by faith. Psalm 92 Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The life that we have is the life of God's grace. So there's that horticultural image. Secondly, there's the architectural image. Not only are we rooted by faith, but we are uh, being built up by faith. We are living stones. We are this, this project of God's grace, being built up to glorify Him and to exist for His glory. Ephesians 2. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, as we're part of that, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're being built up but we're being built up by faith. We're rooted by faith. We are being built up by faith. And then finally, we are established 
by faith, established by faith there in uh, verse 7. And that, that is uh, a law court. That's like going to, it's a legal imagery. We are established by faith. In other words, uh, that pronouncement of God that we are guiltless, that we are righteous. All of these things are by faith, rooted, uh, rooted, uh, built up, and established. So with this, we're always walking by faith. We're always walking in gospel grace. What does that mean? That means every step of the way, we're continuing to have that grace of God that looks away from ourselves and looks towards Jesus Christ. We never abandon that trust that we have when we're met with the reality of God's law, the reality of his righteous standard, that tells us we cannot save ourselves. And so we live by faith, we walk by faith, we're rooted in it. We're established in it. We're being built up in it. Every step of the way, what is the confession of our hearts? In Christ I am saved. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my salvation, my righteousness, my sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Christ is our sanctification. All of these things show that sanctification is by faith. And that doesn't mean that we sit around Uh, waiting for all of these things to happen. Well, no. God calls us to engage in our life, to go about the work that he has called us to do, to seek to glorify him. But we never leave that disposition, that grace of faith. So we always walk in that that, uh, gospel grace, trusting that our justification is secure, engaging in the fight. 2 Peter chapter 1 is a really great uh, passage that highlights this. Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Peter says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Supplement faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. Make every effort, Peter says. Engage in the fight. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Put on the armor of God. Always by faith. Always trusting that it is God who's working in you. Working out of that new life he has created with you. Working out of the status of your justification. It's by faith. Finally, sanctification glorifies God. Sanctification glorifies God. If we never leave grace, if we are always walking by faith, then it is God who is glorified by our good works. It's God who is glorified by them. Because it's the grace of God who makes us what we, that makes us what we are. 
1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Paul says, thinking about these others. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It was not I. It was the grace of God that was working with me. In other words, who gets the glory for the good works that are done in the body, for the good works that are done by the Holy Spirit? It's God, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work. Salvation by grace also is not incompatible with future judgment according to works. When Scripture throws our attention forward to when we will stand before our God, it tells us that there will be an accounting of the things that we do. There will be an accounting of the things that we do. And that we even may receive rewards according to our good works. But what does the confession say? By His grace, He crowns His gifts. By God's grace, He crowns His gifts. It's all an exaltation, uh, a a magnifying of God's grace. Future judgment and reward will only advance God's glory and the glory of God's work in us. The Bible speaks of a future judgment and accounting on the basis of what we do. But it speaks nothing of a future justification on the basis of our sanctification. The language of Scripture is completely silent on on anything of that nature. And there are, are various things that have popped up in the church, various heretical teachings and false gospels that say there is another justification. There's not. Scripture speaks of one justification. And that is not incompatible with the future judgment and accounting of what we do on the basis of our works. It's God's glory and God's grace that will be magnified when we stand before our God. The final thing that we see in the confession is that it would be utterly foolish to re-enter judgment on the basis of works. Would you want to re-enter that kind of situation where you would be accounted as righteous or blessed on account of your works? No, of course not. Because even if you were to succeed on one count, one sin alone would be enough for God to render you worthy of condemnation. That's what it means to live in a covenant of grace. We engage in this fight. We engage in this battle. We put on the new self. We put off the old self. Put on the armor of God. Trust the grace of God as you receive Christ the Lord. So walk in Him. But all of it happens in this sphere of God's grace. Where the mediator of the covenant of grace, Jesus Christ, stands between you and your sin. Stands between you and your corruption. Stands between you and the ways in which you still fall and fail. We live in this grace, always, always by the representation of Christ. We would not want to go back to meriting anything on the basis of our works. And so, Paul says, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Him, so walk in Him. Don't let your walking in Christ be any different than the principles of the gospel that you heard at the start. You're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. Christ saves you by his work. He establishes you by his atonement, by his righteousness. God does not whisk us up to heaven at the very moment of our justification. Might be nice if he did that, but he doesn't. He has to stay here below and engage in this to make every effort to add to our faith 
the virtue and the knowledge, the godliness, all of those things, so that we might not be ineffective. But in every step, what is it? It's God working in us for his glory, by his grace, crowning his gifts, bringing about in us good works that are acceptable to him because they are accepted in Christ. That's what comes forth out of a true faith, rooted in the faith, actually a good root, bringing forth good fruit. We praise the Lord for what, for what he is doing in us and what he does in us through his glorious gospel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you are doing and continue to do in us. We ask that you might, uh, through this passage, remind us uh, the importance of sanctification and yet let it not bring us back to want to establish ourselves on the basis and the merit of our works. But Father, may we always trust in Christ and thank you for the gospel of grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, sing.